0: So I was asked by Sid to talk about giving you an MBA in the in the private label business. And as I thought about that, I go, you know, that's probably next to impossible for me to do in 20 minutes. So I'm going to give you my approach on how we approach private labels, hopefully give you some insights. If you don't mind, I'm going to take this off. Um, and if you do mind, I'll put it back on, whatever you want. But um, anyway, uh, let's see if I got this right. So that's me. and. Uh, what I want to think about is, is that we don't make private labels, we make private brands. And one of my favorite quotes by Mutar Kent is, is that brand is a promise, and a good brand is a promise kept. And then that's really important, I think, when we talk about private label. Um, in the history of private labels that I've been doing for probably 20 years now, we used to start with the label itself, and you'd show a person a picture, and they'd say, wow, I love that picture. I want that as my brand. And that was it. You'd make the wine, put their label on it, and hey, good luck, God bless you, we hope you are very successful, and away we go. Well, as I started to think about that, (laughs) over the last 20 years or so, I thought about the different opportunities that a private label really presents to us. First thing it presents is our ability to have a lower cost product, but not lower quality, never lower quality. From what I've seen is that you can purchase a private label product for 10 to 40% of what the brand name could be it allows us as retailers to have higher profits it allows us to build brand equity now brand equity can be two things brand equity could be equity in the brand itself whatever that private label is or it can be equity in your store your winery your restaurant whatever that whatever that may be because that relationship that your customer has with that brand now you get to own and you get to foster and you get to, to develop and so that's where a private label can be, can be pretty nice. Something that people don't think about is, is that when you have a branded product, you're at the mercy of the brand owner as far as line extensions and pivots. So if you wanted to have a Sauvignon Blanc, but they're not ready to bring a Sauvignon Blanc out, you've either got to find another brand or you got to wait. Well, with a private label, you don't have to. You can pivot immediately. Supposing your your customers are coming to you and saying, gosh, could you make something at a a little bit higher quality or a little bit higher price? Guess what? Private Label Junior, you can have a second label, and away we go. These are things you can't do with a a branded item, and you need to think about that when you're starting your brand. The last thing is, is, and this is a really important one to me, is, is creating loyalty. That brand loyalty, your customers coming to you, and they know that you're a sense of quality because they're coming to your brand in the first place, whatever that is, the store or the winery or the restaurant, and they know this brand is a high quality, so it allows you to to double influence them. The little research before I started this, you know, because of the MBA thing, I was kind of in a study. By the way, being 50 years old and going back for an MBA with all these younger people was tough. I hadn't been in a classroom in 30 years. But my gosh, I mean, some of my friends who I went with are here today, and I really appreciate the support, because I'm a little nervous, I have to admit. But uh, it was a great experience. But what it taught me was to never stop learning, right? Never stop researching. And so I did a little research in this talk, and I found that 68% of millennials are willing to try any brand. Whereas in my generation and older, we were about at a 54%. However, those two numbers together are phenomenal to think about that our audience is at least 50% receptive to trying a private label. So there should be no fear as long as you do the private label right. What it also indicates, and what what, uh, I read in the Nielsen report is, is that private labels are gaining market share, and they're accelerating. And we see that because if we took the European model, the European model is is that about 30 to 45% of their brands are private labeled in their grocery stores. We're at about 10%. In fact, I pulled Nielsen, which I'll share with you in a few minutes, and it was way less than 10%. But that's because we don't we can't track club and I didn't want to get bring in the Costco numbers and all that kind of stuff, but for the most part, 10%. So let's talk about building a brand. Start with the why. Why is this brand going to exist? Is it am I creating this brand because I want to start a cause? Am I creating this brand because I want to build customer loyalty? Am I creating this brand because I want it to be something regional, regional scenery, regional um, character, something like that? Um, Am I building this brand because I want to build a prestigious brand? Do I actually want to have a brand that I want to send in for awards? And I have a lot of customers that send them in for awards, and that builds a little bit of prestige, a little bit of recognition for that brand. Or am I building this brand because I want to provide a value? Is this for a price-sensitive customer? Do I want to do huge volume and that's that's what I'm looking for? Deciding the why. The key to it is, there is no right or wrong answer as to why you're starting the brand, but you have to have that why. Once you have that why, you've identified what your vision and what the direction is for your brand. After we've created the vision, I love this because you sit around and people always ask me, where do the names come from? Part of my my background is, is that I... Um, help doing the creative part of the labels, which is the art part and the design and all of that. And you put the art in front of somebody, and they're like, wow, that's gorgeous. And then I go, great, what do you want to call it? And we sit there, and the room goes silent. And people think, where does that name come from? And so before I even show them the art, we now start talking about, okay, tell me a little bit about what this brand is. If I know what, your, what, your, what the why is, right, we go back to the why. Now we can sit around. Okay, do we name it after your children, grandchildren? Do we name it after the street you were born on? Do we name it about some of your affiliations? Let's talk about those things, and we make a big, long list. And then, of course, I send the list to our attorney, and they do the vetting for it for me <laughs> and all that, and comes back with out of the 30 names that we asked for, like three are available, and they were like the last three that we threw on there because we figured we had to have 30 names. Okay, so it is tough. I get that. But that is part of the, that is part of the process. So at this point, we've discovered what our why is, and we've discovered what our name is. We're not even talking about the wine yet. We're not talking about pricing. I want to understand why this wine is going to exist. And all of us in the wine business, in my opinion, are the most creative people in the world. We do some things that are just so interesting and fascinating. And, and uh, I think that when we take the time to work the creative process, we come up with a great solution. And this, is, this is the second step in creating the brand. Then we come to the part that everybody wants to talk about. They want to know how well their brand's going to sell. So I always like to tell my customers that the numbers are indicators. They're not answers. Now, most of the time when you see a number, it's an answer, right? You work the equation in math and you get to the bottom and it says, you know, X equals 12. Well, in this case, when I look at the Nielsen numbers, whoop, there's a mic there. When uh, I look at the Nielsen numbers, I'm looking for what do they indicate to me? So at this particular slice that I took, this is a 52-week Nielsen report. Uh, I think it's dated October 6. I pulled a two-year versus one-year versus current year. Why did I do that? Well, obviously because we're wearing these silly things. And this was the only report that I could get a little snippet of what happened six months before we actually went under COVID and then the first six months of COVID. And what it did is it showed me some really interesting things. For example, if you take a look at that... that uh, change versus two-year-ago column, we can see that Cabernet is up 17% over what it was doing two years ago and 1% over what it was doing a year ago. By the way, these numbers here are reflecting our just private-labeled wines. They, they made a report for me of just private-labeled they could track. This doesn't take into account any of your, your um, um, Costco's and you know Walmart, that kind of thing, but this is just so we could track so I could give you some numbers. Again, they're indicators, not answers. So when we look at this... Where we were over the last 52 months is surpassing where we were in the pre-COVID market. Why not over the last year? Anybody have a reason why we wouldn't have been over last year? Got an idea? It's all because of the pantry loadout that everybody, all of us did. So we saw a huge volume increase and now we're kind of normalizing again. So I wanted to make sure that I wasn't trying to compare myself to the peak. I wanted to make sure I compared myself to the average uh, to see where the market r- would be. again. I don't know if that's the right answer. It's just how I approached it. Um, and I wanted to see, Because I, and I won't know if I'm right or wrong for another year, but uh, I put my line in the sand, and that's kind of what I'm thinking is, is the way this market's going to go. So what I looked at, and, and what really stood out to me, and the reason I, I'm taking so much time on this slide, is the fact that as I'd be discussing this with one of my customers, and it's it's a real conversation that just happened, she came to me and said, Joe, I really want to do a red blend, but your numbers say that I shouldn't do a red blend. Again, she thought it was an answer, right? And I said, well, I won't tell you her name. (laughs) It was down and it was down, but what do we know about this? All we know is is that on the 100% of all the private label that was sold, across every category that private label was sold, red wine was down, red blends were down. It doesn't say it was in the premium category. It wasn't in the super premium. We didn't look that far yet because we just started with this report. So the PhD in, the, in this had been drive, diving down the next two layers and analyzing which we do later on. But, so I looked at that and I said, okay, real quick, let's take a look at what branded items are doing in that same category and take a look that other red blends are up 14% over two years ago and only down 1% over last year, which means they're holding this is on branded items. I said, so which, which one is, which one, why, why are they both different? And it could very well be that there, A, aren't a lot of really good red wine positioned brands out there in the private label segment. It could be the fact that because the overwhelmingly amount of them might have been in the premium tier that might be tanking and the super premium might be taking off, we have to look at all of that. We don't have time in this room to do it, But this is what we think about when we're doing private label, at least what I think about, because I want to be successful with you. So at this point, we pause, and I always tell them, okay, now we understand why your brand exists. We kind of have an idea of where the naming is going to come from. And we've probably picked a few names, probably, you know, 10 or 20 of them. And now we've kind of got an idea of which, which wines are interesting and which wines are doing well out there. And we pick those wines a lot of times based on what your vision is for the brand. Again, if you wanted a cause-marketed brand, you wanted something that was recognizable for everybody, we stick to the top of the list. Because everybody knows Cabernet and Chardonnay. Grenache and, you know, Petit Verdot might be a little bit lower. We might want to take a look there. But again, the numbers indicate they're not answers, right? So at this point now, we're going to start thinking about our price, and we're going to think about our package. The price is determined by or why, right? If we're looking for a prestige brand, we're definitely not going with a premium, we're going with a super premium or luxury price product. And if we're looking for a volume and a cause brand or something like that, we may be looking for something a little bit lower so we can get more volume out of it, because we want more recognition for the brand and we want more it to be available to more people. All of those things need to be taken into account at this point. Then we come to the eye chart, and I love this stuff. I can't help it. I love the numbers. On the left, or my left, let's see, it would be your left, too, (laughs) Um, are the super premium. On the right is the premium side. Take a look at this. And by the way, I will email this to anybody who wants it, and I'm sure Sid can get it to you, whatever, so if you don't want to write it all down. Um, So we take a look at this to determine what type of price point we want. And let's just suppose that we were looking at doing the premium priced here. We were trying to get an 8 to a 1099 priced wine out there. And again, we're talking about our other red blend. And I take a look here and I'm looking at, wow, down 21 and 29 here again, dropped down to the bottom where the brand it is. Where is the other red? It's at the top, most volume, so it's the most purchased still, right? Down 1% and 10%. This particular customer took that as, maybe I don't want to be Fighting in that eight to 1099, so we took a look at the super premium, and we go, "Wow, take a look at your uh, other red blend up 38 percent on the 11 to 1499 small volume means that a lot of people are entering into that market, probably, and so it's possibly not saturated. So we have an opportunity here maybe. Take a look at it against the branded. Again, other red up 62 percent, up 16 percent. We got green lights in my mind on that one, and after we talked about it, we did go ahead and, and name the wine after a street she lived on when she was a kid. I sent a photographer to the house. We took a picture of it, put it in Sipia tone, and now we have her street name with that brand. came out lovely, and it's going to go in a red blend. So that's how that kind of came about at this point, which the next slide talks about, which is kind of fun, because this is where people start, and this is where I love to end we're going to talk about this point type of glass mold. Again, what did I say? That all the why drives everything else. So, again, is it a cause? Is it, is it luxury? Wherever it is, we'll pick a nice glass mold that goes along with that. The label art should reflect that also. Uh, for those of you who are into labels, you know, do you emboss, do you foil, do you, you know, do some sort of spot varnish and high builds and all this kind of stuff all over the label, whatever that is. Those things always indicate something about what the wine is, right? If it's a flat label, it's typically less expensive. You want it to be that way because we all are in this business to make money. And uh, at least I think I am. Uh, My wife thinks I am. Um, So that's part of the label part. The back label is always a wonderful opportunity to do a small little snippet, a small little marketing piece, something that's gonna help people identify what your brand means and what, what, what you think it is. So we look at that. Well, take a look at closure. There are people that, depending on the brand, may not want a cork. They may want a uh, screw cap. They may want to have the Noma cork or a synthetic or something in there. All of that now, it's pretty simple. You'll find that those decisions are easy to make because you already answered what that why is. Shipper, again, it's a simple decision. Do you, you know Is it a retail brand where it needs to be printed or is it just going to be content white or is it just going to be craft brown to make it simple and look nice, and away we go. How was that for an easy way to get your MBA in a private label, huh? As long as you answer the why and you take care of the other, you're fine. The last thing is we put it all together. We answered the why. We named our wine. Determined our pricing. We used our data in multiple ways. Remember, the data is is an indicator. It's definitely not the answer. Picked our package. If we do that well, our sales will come and that house will go together. And that... I thank you, and I'm ready to answer any questions. I must have been really clear on all of that. Yes, ma'am. Can I ask a question? Like, uh, do you see an average lifespan of a private You know, I, 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 we do. Um, we, my company has been doing private labeling now for about 12 years, and I would say right about that uh, three-year mark, we always go back and refresh the brand. And then we see it about another three years. Um, if the brand continues, we have one right now, or a couple that I can think of off the top of my head, that are 10 years old, and they started to accelerate because we added another component. We decided we liked the brand enough, or the customer did, and we added a cause piece to both of them that actually gave them a little bit bump. I don't know where that's gonna go, because it's only been in the last year because of COVID. They, they were trying something different. But uh, the, the brand refresh needs to happen on a pretty frequent basis. It seems to me. Yes, sir. So, uh, my question would be: How challenging would it be to enter the premium luxury market in compared to the regular market? Sure, uh, <laughs> that is that's obviously a, a tough question. Um, I only have two customers that tried to go into the premium market, um, and they did it. Um, as a As a distributor that wanted to bring a brand out, so they influenced a lot of placements on that, um, and they 've done pretty well with it. Does it outsell the, the the branded of the similar type? it hasn't yet in either case, and so i don 't have a lot of good data for that, but i 've only seen it done twice really for the for the in a true luxury market I so, saw yes, sir. that brand with you do you see value almost sure so we have two sides of our company we have a wholesale side and then we have a b2b side I run the b2b side uh, the what I described to you is hundred percent of the way that we sell every day um, and um, Ben plug your ears to date, I'm still over 55% of what the volume of our company is. They'll surpass me simply because the wholesale market's larger. But uh, they go out with a brand book that has a wonderful collection of all of our artwork and names and all of that, and the customer picks it. We find that, in the, the, so that there's, there's, there's a combination of people. So that's my answer. That's the best I can give you. Yeah. Yes, sir? What's your view on some of these large chains like Walmart and Sam's Club that are you know trying to do a maker's mark or a, you know and then going to different wineries and saying you know we want to put your juice in this bottle i mean what's the what do you think of that as as a, a longer term strategy well i guess if they came to me i'd say god bless them keep doing it but <laughs> um you're supposed to laugh at that because i a, um that is an interesting question um What we see in the wholesales, we all see it is, is that as soon as um, a Walmart or a Costco takes a brand, then then nobody else wants it, right? Um, um, Back in my history, uh, just a quick story, I used to sculpt um, figurines for my mother-in-law's business, and we would sell them to different craft stores. And I'd make the, the molds and pour them and go and sell them. Walmart approached us. And what I realized is that if I went to Walmart, I had to put so much infrastructure in place in order to support that, and I had one egg in my basket. And I have a really tough time with that. So so if it's going to be your business is Walmart, it's not for me. And that's my personal, that's not my company's position, but that's my opinion. Okay. Yes, sir. We had one customer who did custom molds, um, and it was a nightmare uh, because we had to sign the IP on that. When they went out of business, we still have 30,000 cases of that glass sitting in our warehouse because it was so unique. It doesn't. By the way, if anybody's interested, I got some glass to see. Um, and so, yes, I'm not a fan of doing that. I, I, I typically push them towards our major molds. You know, we use four major molds. You know, uh, Bordeaux, Claret, in a, upper, in a heavier and a medium, and that's it. Um, sometimes we've had one customer that wanted a flat bottom, and we did a flat bottom. But I don't get a lot of questions, a lot of asks for that. For your new brand starting out, um, do you recommend that they focus more on promoting the brand and building the brand out, or do should they be focused more on? the sales and the distribution? Well, it depends on who buys it. So my side of the company, I deal with a few um, retailers, but only because they have one unit, but it does enough to warrant a private label. Mm -hmm. But I deal with a lot of distributors and a lot of wineries that we, or not wineries, but um, wine companies that we do private labels for. Uh, We start with education. If they're going to uh, do their private label, we want their staff to know what the brand is, what it means, uh, what's in the bottle, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And we take it out just like you would any other brand, but we promote the fact that we had influence over this. So we make it a very personal experience, and it really resonates um, with their customers that the ownership or the sommelier or the staff, whoever, took a personal interest in this brand, and it means something to the company. We have time for one more question for Joe. Anybody? Yes that's okay Um, I'm curious about the online business for maybe private label because in China private label is mainly for online business so I'm wondering what's the trend looks like in US so we do a lot of uh, of um, D2C business so where we provide brands for them what we found is, is that almost every major D2C customer that we have does all their own branding so I haven't yet, in, in nine years, I haven't done a single label for any of our D2C customers. So I can't really answer that question. They, they have a team, and that's what their forte is, is the, is the branding and the messaging for their, their clientele. So, yeah, we don't do that. Thank you. Sorry, I wish I had a better answer for you. Hey, thank you for your time. If you really would like mine, there's my email. I'd be happy to respond.